You're listening to Don't Tell the Easter Bunny, a podcast celebrating the unsung festivities that won't be found on any normal calendar. This show is presented by a mother-son duo who like to keep it safe for work. I'm Bryce, the son. I'm Misty, the mom. And you can reach out to us at Don't Tell the Easter Bunny for Instagram and Facebook, and at Don't Tell the EAS1 for Twitter. Or you can email us at don'ttelltheeasterbunny at gmail.com. No special characters or spaces. Okay, let's hop to it. All right, well, the second half of the duo is back from San Diego. Woo, little pop confetti things. (laughs) (laughs) Although I think he likes likes it out there a little bit better, but glad to have you back. It's less humid out there. Yeah, definitely I could, could deal with that at least, but glad to have you back and um, glad that we can get back to the podcast this way instead of having to do over the telephone. Yeah, we were trying to figure out like how we were going to do it if I was going to stay out there longer, but you know, <laughs> we don't actually have to do that. We got uh, everything figured out for our sound. Hey, we're learning good. a lot, though, with this podcast. So, you know, if I had to have a telephone guest, that would work, too. Yeah. I just learned how to do it. That's fine. So we are back with our uh, episode. I know we've been gone for about two weeks, and our episodes um, are for this week. And I have the first one. It's World Mosquito Day on August 20th. Oh, you're going to bug us with some mosquito facts? Uh, is that a bad dad joke? Yeah. You're not a dad yet. You can't tell bad dad eh, Bad dad <laughs> joke, bad son joke. It's all the same. Yeah, something like that. Well, so I have following after that on August 22nd, World Plant Milk Day. Plant we- Milk Day. Mm-hmm. Like silk? From the strings or I something? mean, you have the brand silk, which is like soy, which is technically considered oh, a plant milk. That kind of milk. Pretty much anything that is a dairy-free alternative for milk. Oh, okay. That should be interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we got something fun when it comes to that segment. Something a little bit different from what we've usually done. Okay. So. Uh, I'll look forward to that. All right, so I will jump in here with my World Mosquito Day, which um, I was going to talk about this later, but I think I'll talk about it at the beginning. It is so apropos from just coming back from our trip to Montreal. I could not believe. So we live in Florida, Orlando, or Longwood, just outside of Orlando, and the mosquitoes are really bad here, but we just kind of get used to it. It's just a year-round thing. We have mosquitoes, and uh, the annoying thing, though, is when they get in your house and then, like, basically chew you up all night long. But um, I didn't expect mosquitoes in Canada. You know, it's pretty cold up there. And I'm always told that we have the mosquito problem because it's hot, humid. We got a lot of stagnant water, things like that. Um, and cold areas don't have mosquitoes. But they have us beat on mosquitoes. They might, oh, yeah. <laughs> they might only have them a couple months out of the year. But these things were massive. They were huge. They're like remnants from the Jurassic period or something <laughs> like that. They are giant dinosaurs, and they are frightening. And they were so not only big, but they were just 
you know, I've been in swarms of them down here, but the swarms up there were horrible. And a few of our uh, tour guides actually had like this netting over on their jackets and over their head to protect themselves. Yeah, they kind of looked like beekeepers. Yeah. <laughs> so it reminded me, um, there was an episode of Shark Tank where it was a lady actually uh, sewed jackets like that uh, for her son. And then I guess they were like, hey, you know, you should take this on Shark Tank. It's a great idea. And they ended up buying out the company. <laughs> so Good that's, for her, right? that's what I kept thinking of when I saw um, our guides. But they were talking about, uh, of course, this was not necessarily in the cities because they do spray in the cities, just like down here around the theme parks, they spray all the time. So you usually won't, you can sometimes get some bugs out there, but. For the most part, you don't get them, even camping um, out their campgrounds and stuff. But we were in the national parks up there, so they can't spray because, of course, uh, protection of the animals. And um, we were also in a very swampy, I guess we call it a swampy area, at least a water area. And they said, I guess when the ice and snow melts, that it kind of pushes trees up and uh, lifts them up and stirs up the bogs up there. And so they get like... Uh, mosquito season of a couple months and they were bad they were bad and we don't know if they were the mosquitoes exactly but there was some bug while we were canoeing that you know you didn't even feel them and all of a sudden <laughs> i like i heard mom behind me say why are you bleeding and i'm like i'm bleeding and i looked down and there's just so much blood running down from this one spot this one puncture area and then they turned into two and then three over the course of like 30 minutes or so. It's like, I didn't feel any of these and I can still see. This has been like almost a month and a half later. I know. And I still can see where they punctured. It was really bizarre because we could not feel them bite at all. And they definitely drew blood and um, we bled for a little bit. And then uh, after a few days, though, it started hurting and itching really bad yeah and, and it's bruised and like bryce is saying we we can still see the places so i don't know if i have scars but all this is probably not great for us to be talking about because the whole idea of world um mosquito day is that it's to raise awareness about mosquitoes and malaria so here we're talking about getting bit by mosquitoes and probably not the best thing you want to try to avoid mosquitoes obviously um i'm going to talk about this you know especially in other countries and stuff where they um, have the malaria, but um, definitely need to, you know, try to put on different things. Um, it could be natural too to repel the mosquitoes, although we did. <laughs> we still have mosquitoes. We tried natural, yeah. unnatural. <laughs> so, so we probably need to have the nets too. But um, so this, once again, it's to raise awareness about mosquitoes and malaria. And uh, it was created this day in 1897 by British doctor Sir Ronald Ross, and he discovered the link between the mosquitoes and the transmission of malaria. Okay. So he's the first person to really realize, you know, that's how this um, disease was spreading. Smart guy. Yeah. And he, um, he identified that it was only the female Anopheles, I don't know if I'm saying that right, but A-N-O-P-H-E-L-E-S, Anopheles mosquito, transmits the disease. So um, do you know why it's only the uh, female? Uh, have something to do with reproduction, I assume. Yeah, but... so um, females are the only ones that bite, and that's because they actually need the blood to nourish their eggs. 
can't they like find some other source <laughs> instead of blood from other animals? Well, uh, it is interesting. They um they actually they tend to go to others before humans. Uh, like but, cows, or yeah, something. or birds. Uh, birds is a big one. So birds go after mosquitoes quite a bit. Or sorry, that's the way around. Mosquitoes go after birds quite a bit. So, um, which brings up a good point. I know a lot of people don't like bats, you know, and consider them blood suckers and all. But bats, especially down here in Florida, are definitely a natural enemy of the mosquitoes. So um, around our waterways, we live very close to uh, the Wokaiva River Basin. So we have a lot of uh, bats around here and they're um, encouraged. They try to, you know, keep bat houses, areas that they can hang out in, things like that. And we see them in attics quite a bit. Uh, We've... We actually lived closer to downtown Orlando, uh, but we lived right by a park. It was our front yard, and um, at at dusk, you'd actually see them every day flying mm-hmm, around. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. So we don't really have a fear of bats. They're sort of neat, and for us, it's great um, control of the mosquitoes. Still doesn't get rid of all of them, though. But um, So we're big into citronella, which we'll talk about that in a little bit. But um, That? Okay, yeah. I want to talk about citronella in a bit just because i heard it actually isn't as effective right well i mean it it repels them it doesn't kill them and yeah i mean sometimes it's not effective so what it does is um so i was going to talk about it later but hey we'll be talking about it now um it actually masks the smell so um what the mosquitoes are attracted by certain scents. And you know how I always say that they must love my sweet blood because they're always attacking mm-hmm. me. Um, Mamma never had that issue. But um, they're attracted to certain scents. So I'll kind of go into later a little bit, you know, about different scents and what they are. But the problem with the citronella is it masks the scent. So if that scent is still strong or a lot of times what happens is um, – like you'll put the citronella candle maybe near you or the citronella plant near you and it doesn't really help. You need to keep it, you know, farther away. So while they're flying, they're going to get that smell before they get like your smell and stuff. Well, I heard that you have to actually like crush it and dilute it. So like a candle makes sense, but actually just putting the plant nearby you. Well, there's so there's different different ways. Yeah, the citronella actually comes from the oil of a citronella plant. Um, and that, I mean, that's true. You, they can smell the citronella, but it's not as strong as, of course, uh, as crushing it. But there's other ways. There's candles, there's uh, diffusers, there's those tiki torches now that have it. Um, so there's a lot of other ways that you can get it out there, too. Also, the a lot of the um, bands that you can wear on yourself and just natural things like mm-hmm. that are um, have the citronella in them, too. So it is the oil. So definitely the oil is much stronger smelling than being like, you know, on the plant where it's until you break it up. basically. So, so yeah, I mean, having the plants now up at um, our family in Tennessee, that was the first time actually, it's funny living in Florida, you know, we think I'd see citronella plants everywhere. We had heard about citronella and used it, but never the plant until we went up to the one farm up there and they had them and she never had problems with mosquitoes and i i asked her one time and she said it was because of the citronella plants and mm. she never crushed them so i don't know but once again a lot of it is the placement they said the problem is a lot of people put all these things around 
them thinking it's going to protect them, but it actually is drawing the mosquitoes to them mm, instead yeah. of like keeping them away. So really you need to do it more on the perimeter at the area before it even gets to your smell. Okay. So, so, um, so I'll talk a little bit more about that, but, um, back to Ross. Uh, so he identified the female, uh, mosquito and in 1902. So let's see what that be five years later. After he discovered this, he was awarded the Nobel uh, Prize in Physiology and Medicine for his discovery. Mm. And I, I'm kind of surprised it's like that early on, you know, or like early, late 1800s and early 1900s. But so they, I guess they've been having to deal with mosquitoes, you know, since the beginning of time, cavemen and all of that. Of course, I guess is Jurassic Park is based on that because it's a mosquito and the amber, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that they're looking for. So, well, I was just <laughs> one of my friends was listening to NPR and they had a whole thing dedicated to mosquitoes too. I don't think it was <laughs> for this day, but they're just talking about like a book coming out and something to do with the historical, socio-cultural kind of thing with the mosquitoes and how it kind of affected uh, the development of cities and certain places. Oh wow. Yeah, I think a lot of like diseases and stuff, the plague and all really change cities and how they do develop and things yeah. like that. But and then it going since we gotta talk about conspiracies every time, um, it seems like there's a lot of movies out there such as Jurassic Park and I think Zero Hour, the T V show might have been one where they they tend to seek out mosquitoes that have been preserved because I guess for the fact that they do suck that blood so they need to have the blood and the DNA and right, things like yeah. it. So um actually an interesting thing about that, um, sucking the blood. So there are studies being done right now because when a mosquito um the female uh, injects her proboscis or whatever it is into you to actually uh, draw out the blood, she has this um, mix in her saliva that will is basically almost like um, a coumadin and anti you know anti clotting agent so that way she can pull out the blood without it clotting and so they have been doing studies into this about the stuff that they spit into you basically um, so they can see can we use this as a clotting or anti-clotting right, yeah. agent at some point but that's also what um gives us the bump because basically we're having a, a reaction to the stuff that they're putting in there and that's also basically why you get malaria or you get zika or any of these um diseases that are transmitted by the mosquito because what they're doing is they're injecting their saliva into you so if they just literally kind of came up and drew out your blood, then that probably would not, you know, be an issue. But since they're injecting um, stuff into you to break up those clots and not allow your blood to clot so it can pull it in, then that's how it's actually transmitting diseases such as malaria and some of the others out there. So mm. I, I kind of found that interesting, you know, why is it only mosquitoes that um, do that when, like you said, we had whatever um bug that was up there bite us and you know draw blood and stuff so like theoretically if we could go in and like i don't know mess with the population of mosquitoes so they didn't have that coagulating agent and you know leaving their saliva and all that it could maybe be possible to 
not have like the diseases from well i probably wouldn't have the diseases but that actually probably would have killed off the whole population because if they couldn't draw the blood because it clots and they wouldn't be able to draw it in to fertilize the eggs it would kill them off i feel like this is a (laughs) win-win yeah except for i guess there must be some good good reason no there's not any reason i mean all the articles i read you know they're they're dangerous and stuff i there's got to be some good reason for them but who knows i don't know they feed the bats yeah well there you go (laughs) yeah i don't know what the bats would eat otherwise i guess fruit but anyway so yeah so see or even yes. the mosquito switch the eating fruit. Come on, you guys can go into the fruit and you don't even have to care about the coagulate. So there's a funny, um, I think you're too young to remember Farside. Have you ever seen any of the Farside cartoons or any of the... Mm, I know the name, but I don't think I've seen yeah, it before. I had, um, I had a couple t-shirts because there was a big... Yeah, It was always out there, but like... And it became a cult classic, you know, for a certain amount of time. And um, so Gigi had gotten me this shirt <laughs> and it had a mosquito and it's all puffed up huge. <laughs> and <laughs> it's supposed to be a mosquito couple. So that's the female mm-hmm. and uh, the wife and his, the husband is yelling, pull out, Betty, pull out. You've hit an artery. <laughs> yeah (laughs) that one was funny i had that one and then the other one i had was uh it was something like the university for the gifted or whatever and the door says pull and the person's pushing on it so anyway those those were very funny yeah (laughs) yeah so okay so um what so I guess um, yeah, it's probably good to talk about malaria, exactly what it is. I know you have actually um, had to deal with this, not, you know, you personally yourself, but you worked in the uh, medical field with people in malaria. Yeah. So when we went to Ghana, well, one thing is if you're going to Ghana or many other West African nations, you actually have to get... Um, Uh, the inoculation for like yellow fever and malaria and such and uh, to just be able to enter into the country when we were there we're you know helping run free primary health care clinic and a lot of the tests had to do with malaria and basically prick the finger have a little bit of blood come out and it it's kind of like um the best way is maybe to think of it looks like a pregnancy test. And if it's positive, it'll show up on the a p- certain part of the stick um, where it's like coated in whatever agent it is. And if you don't have it, then it won't show up. But that was one thing that we did have to at least um, analyze, I guess. We at least had to observe if they had malaria or not. I actually don't remember if we were able to treat it. That might have been one that we had to either, like, say, we need to send you off to another clinic space where they have antibiotics, but it was a serious issue still, and mosquito nets were prevalent everywhere. So, so I, um, I actually found that interesting when you came back from Ghana and told me about that because you hear about malaria. You hear about how important it is to help people in those countries protect, you know, from malaria. 
but um, I always thought it was deadly, you know, which it is, but it's also treatable and very easily curable and treatable. So um, I thought that was fascinating. And then uh, when I was actually doing the research for for this day, they had talked about that too, that um, this comes from uh, talking about the nets, nothing but nets. Mm-hmm. Uh, it comes from their website. It's actually an organization. It's a United Nations foundation. Uh, but once again, nothing but nets. Um, so I talked about them a little bit more in a minute, but they did talk about malaria testing and treatment. So they said, um, this is a quote from their website, diagnostic testing, mainly using microscopes or rapid diagnostic tests allow health workers to identify and treat malaria quickly. Malaria is curable if it is, if it is treated in time with an effective drug. The main medications used to treat malaria in sub-Saharan Africa are artis, I'm going to say right, artemisinin combination therapies. Sure. ACTs. So anyway, so, you know, when I was researching this, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, you had to mention that, that you had to do some of that testing and uh, that it was curable, which I did not realize. (laughs) Now that you mention the ATC or ACT, whatever they are, we actually did have the drug on hand. They were kind of like little pills. And so uh, we were given a chart to, it was kind of like a formula to say, all right, if the patient is a child of this certain height then they have to take like this many you know these many amount of pills throughout the day and then on top of that it would take like up to a week to three weeks or so for it to actually fully flush out the malaria from them that's amazing though that they can do that so that's um definitely modern medicine and great that they can do that. So going back to what malaria is exactly. So this is also coming from the same website, nothing but nets. That's nothing but nets.net. I don't know if I said dot com, but it's not net. So um, once again, I'm going to quote exactly what they said. Malaria is transmitted to people through the bites of Anopheles mosquitoes, which primarily bite at night and carry the life-threatening diseases caused by the blood parasite Plasmodium. So stop here for a second. So uh, that's interesting too. So it's actually this parasite that is really doing it. So it's mixed in with that saliva then injected Mm -hmm, into. So that's why I guess not everyone, you know, gets malaria because if they're um, bitten by a mosquito that doesn't have this parasite in it, then they won't develop malaria. Mm -hmm. But then the person next to them, you know, might get another mosquito that has that um, in them. So it's not the mosquito itself. It's whatever one has um, this parasite breeding inside of it. So in uh, 2019, this is um, what I did like about their site was give a lot of different resources and things to help, but they were very, very current on Mm -hmm. things, statistics and all like that. So in 2019, there were 219 million new cases of malaria worldwide and three or 435,000 deaths. So that's kind of sad because it is preventable, yeah. you know, or not, I guess not, pre- the death is preventable, not right. the d- disease per se. All even though even the disease is present, uh, preventable when we talk about like the nets and all. Uh, 70% of those 435,000 deaths were children under five. And nearly half of the world's population is at risk of malaria, but most of the malaria cases and deaths occur in sub-Saharan Africa 
however, Southeast Asia, Latin America, and the Middle East are also at risk. And I mean, it makes sense why those areas are, you know, very big for populations of people to get affected by malaria is simply because it is hard for those citizens to get access to medical care. I mean, specifically, our group went out to villages that had issues with health insurance or transportation to medical clinics where they could get the drug. But, you know, if you're out in the middle of sub-Saharan Africa and there's no big municipality around or any, like, branching clinic space, then it is very difficult to get any pharmaceutical. Yeah. Seems like nowadays we could do that. But, I mean, you know, your organization was great. They're going out to help these rural areas. So it's just sad that they can't have that all the time. But Yeah. So to, I guess talking about that then, um, one of the ways that definitely the sub-Saharan um, cultures and just any culture that, you know, tends to sleep outside or maybe not have closed windows or, or um, screens or whatever, the easiest way to protect is by a mosquito net. Mm-hmm. And yes. of course, I've heard about, I heard about that with you with the program, but also just in general, you know, about nets. But I found it interesting because I didn't realize that the nets are not just nets. I mean, they are, you know, it protects it from the mosquitoes getting in and getting through, but they also actually have some something in them to kill the mosquitoes. I didn't know that. I thought it was just like two layers of netting and then we kept them in yeah, and out. <laughs> but they actually have a, a stuff inside them. Uh, so it will not only, you know, it doesn't just repel them, it actually kills them as well. So I guess they don't have any uh, bats or if they have bats, they're starving bats. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> they found some other food source. Yeah. So some of the uh, net statistics that they had... Um, Today, approximately 53% of the population in sub-Saharan Africa is protected by bed nets. So that's that's pretty good. That's um, a big improvement from, yeah. you know, none. <laughs> I know. So. Well, compared to uh, just uh, in 2000, just 2%. Oh, yeah. That's so, I mean, one. that was, what, uh, almost 20 years? But that's still pretty amazing. And um, the, the nothing but nets actually uh, works with the UN partners and governments to identify the areas for greatest need. And then they purchase the nets and distribute them to families. So uh, they kind of explain on their website, I guess, often they're confused for they make the nets themselves, but they don't make the nets. They're just a foundation to help um, get the supply and then get them out to those communities. So do they just work in contract with like a factory or several factories to make them? Yeah. And then, um, so these partners and local governments have expertise in accessing remote, hard to reach areas. Did you actually give out nets? No, I don't believe. The way we really tried preventing um, mosquitoes from reproducing was looking at, we would go and survey different homes and we had like a checklist of, okay, is this um, a kitchen space that you know is interior so it creates smoke and that can create a lot of uh, rheumatic issues inside the house so that's like an example of what we'd be looking at and when it came to mosquitoes we would be looking at their water supply was it a secure water supply a lot of them have uh, you know like 
wells or barrels of water, but they might not be um, completely patched up or sealed, so uh, mosquitoes can't get through and lay their eggs in this still water, and then, you know, of course, it's tainted and all that. So we would go in and try to figure out what would be best to prevent it in the way of their drinking water or whatever else, bathing water and such. That's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, growing up in Florida, basically we're told walk around your house, dump out any of the of the rainwater and any buckets. Make sure your buckets are usually upside down. Try to, you know, um, get things that won't accumulate water. But when a few months ago when I did the rain barrel class, <laughs> made the rain barrel, I was like, okay, how do you prevent the mosquitoes? And they said that it's uh, it's because it's tight. And, you know, there's only a small opening basically for the, the drain pipe or whatever to catch the water that you won't get any mosquitoes in there. Yeah. So I found that kind of interesting. I would just always assume it's like, you know, if there's a little space, you're going to have a mosquito. Yeah. Because it seems like if we're out camping and we have a little space in our tent, that mosquito will find me. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay. So we talked about nets as a prevention, talked about spraying um, both uh, like personally or um, you know, out big like mass spraying around like the uh, theme parks. Also, just even in the communities, we don't get a, as much, I think, because once again, we're, you know, we're by a protected um, area for wildlife and all. Right. But downtown, when we used to live in downtown Orlando, they've come through spraying all the time. And a lot of the time it's like the water in whatever community it is, is treated with some kind of chemical that is also I guess, I don't know, I imagine like the sterilize yeah. the mosquitoes that land there or something. Well, they but. do have to um, eco-friendly and safe because uh, when we had the fish pond and all, you could buy these mosquito rings that were safe mm-hmm. for the animals. Oh, yeah. talk about the, mos- uh, the bats. Um, but another, uh, another way that you can actually prevent it, we sort of mentioned this, was uh, basically preventing smells and different things like that so what i wanted to talk about um and these so the next facts i'm going to talk about i'm going to talk about just mosquitoes in general some facts but also what attracts the mosquitoes these are from a, a company actually selling um natural products mosquito no no band.com they sell natural mosquito products okay so. So mosquitonoband.com. All right, so um, another way that you can basically prevent them is, and not necessarily kill them, but is to make yourself less attracted to them. I gotta, you know, no more makeup, yeah, no. Yeah, you can't shake nice those tail feathers hair. and all that. So there are five human scents that attract mosquitoes. Did you know that? No, am I supposed to guess which five they are? <laughs> oh, if you want to, you can. I I mean, it's not really like a pheromone or anything, but sweat. Ding, 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 ding. That would be one. Um, And actually, that's that could kind of be two. So, so like I'll give salt. You, I'll give you two points for that. <laughs> so like salt. I don't know what else is in sweat. Water. <laughs> <laughs> no, let's see. I think you should uh, explain all of them because I'm not going to be able to pick up anymore. So carbon dioxide, 
Okay, I've heard that before. So I breathe out. They're going to be attracted to that. Uh, body odor. So I guess because uh, this would be the one that you just you said, like sweat. So there's body odor and secretions. So that's number two and three. So I'll kind of talk about them. Body odor they have down as bacterial colonies combined with sweet. No, sorry. Bacterial colonies combined with sweat generate that sweet, if you're a mosquito, human scent we call body odor. So that's that with the sweat, basically. Um, and then the secretions, though, about 80% of us are secretors or people who secrete compounds known as saccharides and antigens through their skin and indicate blood type. So mosquitoes are magnets for secretors. Once again, your classification as a secretor or non-secretor is determined by your biology, and there isn't anything you can do to put yourself in the non-secretor uh, category. Are so, mosquitoes, like, attracted to any particular blood type? Well, okay, so duh, here we go. Okay. Next one is blood type. <laughs> so blood type. Depending on the type of blood you have, you secrete different scents. I never knew that. I even worked for a blood center for a long time. I did not know that. I don't think that would be really something necessary for a blood center. <laughs> Being oh, like, hey, if you that. sniff this person, <laughs> you can tell if they're like an O negative. Studies have shown that mosquitoes are most attracted to type O blood, which is actually the universal donor. So there would be a lot of people that are out there getting attacked by mosquitoes. Yeah. And they're least attracted to type A. Okay. No changing your blood type either, though. No. And it doesn't say if it's positive or negative. That would be an interesting study. So, like, if you put an A positive and a, a negative person together, does one get attacked more than the other? I think you should try that out. I think you should round up all your friends. <laughs> yeah. But, like, get a negative and a positive, And then just <laughs> release a bunch of mosquitoes. But see, like I said, I'm kind of a magnet, but we're both type B. So we don't fall in the category. But we're not type A where they're really least attracted to. So we should be attracting Bs instead of mosquitoes. Yeah, there you go. So you should, because B positive. I should deflect them at B negative. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Okay, and then the last one. Yeah, this would be the last one. Number five is lactic acid. So, um... It's interesting because I think when I'm working out in the yard, I tend to get a lot more mosquito bites, I think, than just standing around. And, of course, you know, lactic acid builds up. That's when you're doing, like, marathons and stuff. That's why you get the cramps and legs and all that. Um, So I don't know if, like, when I'm working outside, you know, if I'm doing heavy moving and lifting and digging and stuff, if that's maybe... Or lactic acid. Don't exercise and you will not get any mosquitoes. <laughs> exactly. There we go. So um, so basically, if you, uh, you know, could minimize, some, you can't minimize some of those, I guess, but not really. <laughs> yeah. I think you just got to mask them. So anyway. Okay. So the last thing I have here is um, some top facts that you should know about them. It's also from the... I look up again, the mosquitonoban.com, and it's, uh, did I say the top five? <laughs> so it's the top five facts you should know about mosquitoes. So there are more mosquitoes on this planet than humans. 
That's a sad fact. I don't want to know that. (laughs) You want to take a guess on how many, what they call tiny buzzing vampires? So there's roughly like seven-ish billion people on the earth right now, right? I guess. (laughs) Like 7.3 or something? I don't know. I'm going to say, let's say like 20 billion. Well, you're a little under. Oh. 100 trillion. Oh, my. Now, how they figured that out? Yes, how do you estimate that (laughs) exactly? Actually, I had a friend who worked um, doing some interesting biology things, and one was sexing mosquitoes. And having to basically look under a microscope to determine male and female. That must be That fun. was their job. I, I don't know. I think it's boring, but maybe it was fascinating. I really don't know. Anyway, uh, did you know that there are 3,450 different species? A mosquito's a mosquito. <laughs> well, hey, now, compared to the ones in Canada, there is uh, a definite I, I, difference okay. there. Yeah. <laughs> that is the... That was not a mosquito. That was a blood, like they said, a buzzing vampire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so it, to give you a, what they say, to give you an idea of what exactly that number looks like, if 100 trillion mosquitoes were stacked together on a football field, the pile would reach more than three miles high. Mm. All right. Don't num- want to be going to that game. Number two, your blood helps create more mosquitoes. We kind of already talked about that. And that's because the female mosquitoes um, want the blood as protein for their eggs and also because certain blood types they crave. Number so, three. Wait, can you explain that a little bit? It's specifically the protein in like the blood cell? Yes. So it's uh, a protein, well, a protein in our blood. Yes, that is um, actually needed for the development of their eggs. Okay. I think that's such a weird, like, evolutionary thing, you know? Be like, <laughs> we can't produce produce this. All these other animals can. Let's go steal some of that from them. Instead of like, oh, yeah, we should probably produce it ourselves. So if we ever have a generation of, like, the V people, you know, with, like, alien-type people or Terminator or something and fake blood, then probably kill off the mosquito population. All right, let's work on that. (laughs) I kind of like your idea, better clot, although I don't know. That might be cruel to the poor mosquito. Maybe. Although they, they don't do it for eating. They do it for nourishing, so maybe it wouldn't really be cruel. Because all it would do is just kill off their eggs. It is. And eventually they die out. It is just um, plan B for <laughs> mosquitoes. Hey, <laughs> Okay. Three. Mosquitoes. I think that's funny when some people put E and some don't. But anyway. Mosquitoes think you smell nice. We talked about that. Number four. Mosquitoes inject you with their saliva. We talked about that. And um, somewhere grab my other notes here so the actual saliva here we go okay um this comes from sciencemag.org mosquito spit (laughs) when a mosquito bites it injects a potent mix of proteins called anophalins into its host so there are actually anophalins which are the um, blood thinner basically okay 
Which would it? Anopheles is a mosquito. So I wonder if... It's related etymologically. Yeah, I just I have researched this a couple of days ago, but I'm just like kind of making that correlation. So I wonder if... Um, so back to Sir Donald Ross, who discovered it, it was it the chicken before the egg or they, you know, mm-hmm. that because were they anophilins because they were already anophilins the protein and so he called the mosquito that because there's you know basically putting that protein into or was it the other way around the mosquito was named first and then he named protein after it uh possible or do they not even have anything to do with each other it's all greek to me it is to me too and then let's see okay last top five fact they transmit deadly diseases so and uh, so we talked about malaria they also uh i talked about zika but they also transmit the west nile virus as well and so with all of those zika west nile and uh, malaria we have seen them in the united states but that's only because they actually you know were brought over Mm -hmm, uh, from tourists and things like that so um I guess, for the most part, our treatments in the variety of areas here and the um, even our more rural areas, I guess, uh, must be treated properly, or at least, you know, people are kind of protecting themselves a lot better. Isn't it that the West Nile virus is effectively eradicated in the United States or something? Yeah, like I haven't that? heard much about it recently. And once again, when I worked at the Blood Center, I did, you know, hear a lot of things like that. And there were, there's... It, even now, there's still a lot of um, island countries because, of course, living once again in Florida, we have a lot of people who take cruises mm-hmm. all the time. And um, there were a couple stops that if you went to those, you couldn't get blood for a year because of um, because of just a bunch of different you know viruses carried usually by mosquitoes. And um, so there was one donor that uh, literally would not get off the ship on one port so they could donate blood. Mm. So that was interesting. But yeah, um, so yeah, I haven't really heard much, and I haven't heard a lot about Zika lately either. And then, of course, you don't necessarily hear about malaria in the U.S. or just in general. You know, you hear about it kind of overseas, but even then, I don't think there's a whole lot you hear about. So, in order to celebrate, um, if you call it celebration, I mean, I guess it's celebration because you know, if they hadn't discovered the link then there would be preventative measures and stuff like that. But um, if you go to nothingbutnets.net, nothingbutnets, not net, they actually have different ways to take action. They have a lot of resources available, um, different ways, you know, that you can help here and abroad. And they even have a malaria map, which is kind of interesting to look at. So, um, you know, I would... For, uh, to celebrate the day, reach out and try to keep Ross's legacy alive by helping people, you know, in need in those countries. It doesn't take much to um, buy a net, or if you, you know, want to go on some kind of mission and help deliver nets, then get involved that way as well. It actually does sound like a very effective and productive charity. You know, you got to watch out for some that just like to take money, but this one actually sounds like it's doing something. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, I have two facts about mosquitoes. <laughs> um, I I assume most people know about where the etymology of malaria came from, but I'll go ahead and pose it. Do you know what malaria means slash where it actually came from? No. 
So I think it's from Latin, which makes sense. You know, mal being bad and all oh, that. Yeah. So malaria literally means like bad air. So when you're talking about like the plague, which was not malaria in the sense of the same disease, it was still referred to as malaria because they thought anything that was basically a plague or disease-like thing was produced by sickly air and that's why you have like the old time doctors who had those really kind of scary uh bird masks oh, yeah. and the the bird masks were filled with bouquets of flowers because it was supposed to basically uh cure the air for breathing is it interesting about the malaria and the bad air because um I think you you know the story, but uh, we had a ring in our family. So my family actually does come from England, and um, we had a ring that was turquoise and uh, pearl passed through the family. I actually have it now as my engagement ring. But every time they thought it was cursed because um, it was a family of girls, and uh, the oldest girl uh, was given this ring. And she passed away. Then the middle girl was given, I don't know, I think there are only three in the family, but the middle girl was given the ring and passed away. And, um, but luckily before they gave it to the third girl, they realized that um, it was tuberculosis and um, they had died from tuberculosis. So, and their rooms hadn't been cleaned. And what happened was when one would die, you know, they'd basically take that room the next daughter and stuff like that um and so they didn't they didn't you know clean the linens they didn't clean the air and everything like that and um, unfortunately the second daughter died from it as well so um kind of interesting because that you know that shows that they didn't know that it was bad air back then but in that case it was bad air yeah so and so now I have the quote cursed ring. <laughs> hopefully there's no more TV in yeah. our house. Well, they definitely um they definitely found out that it was that before the third third yeah. girl succumbed to it. So Yeah. Anyway. All right, so you've got the next one and I can't wait to hear about the fun part. The yeah, the surprise. <laughs> so World Plant Milk Day. Started on August 22nd, 2017. It was founded by Plant Based News a website and it officially established a partnership with Pro Veg in 2018. So, this comes from their website. And basically, their goal is to encourage people to drink milk alternatives for all the reasons that we probably know about. And then, when it comes to like saving the environment, reducing animal exploitation, and it being a healthier option for humans. When I was looking up all this about plant milk and dairy-free alternatives, of course, almond milk became like the top primary source of information. And it's interesting because it's been beloved and maligned in kind of like the environmental world when you're talking about does it actually save the environment or does it kind of cause more harm to it? The milk or like the, in that case, the almond? Um, the specifically production of the almond because 
Yes, there's so a lot of it has to deal with how much water is being consumed to produce the almond. Um, it is the king of dairy free alternative drinks in the United States. So there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, if this part of the industry is consuming a lot of water, maybe we should do something about it. Um, so the fact is to grow one almond, one almond, a single little nut, it requires 1.1 gallons of water. And to actually grow a pound of it takes about a thousand and nine hundred gallons of water. I remember when we were just outside San Francisco and went through the um, plantations up there and they were talking about that and how controversial it is because of the farmers, you know, using that much water. Yeah, especially in California. So California is the largest producer of almonds in America. But it's also, you know, been consistently dealing with droughts throughout the past, you know, several years. But especially with the craze of almond milk going on, um, (laughs) everybody's kind of looking towards, oh, how much water is being consumed on the, uh, you know, farmer's end. And actually, apparently, there's been a lot of efficient effort to make water consumption uh, less not toxic, but, you know, less of an issue in uh, California and in general. I think there was something about a 35% reduction in water being consumed in like a 15-year span. But because there is this kind of issue of, okay, if it takes so much water and it's, you know, really bad for the environment, we need to move on to other species of nut or other alternatives altogether. And what many don't know is that nuts in general actually need a copious amount of water just to produce anything. So cashews are roughly the same amount as an almond uh, when it needs, you know, the amount of water. Uh, Pistachios, hazelnuts, and walnuts, they're several hundred gallons less but they still require over a thousand gallons of water to produce one pound of nut. Um, in perspective, it takes 48 gallons of water for a cow to produce one pound of milk. I know that kind of sounds funny, <laughs> like one pound, what about ounces? But, you know, when you're having to work with these different ratios, you know. uh, that that isn't what I thought was funny. It's thinking about that much water <laughs> to make the milk. Yeah, yeah. Well, most of milk is water. And uh, it's interesting because if you actually look at milk alternatives, so here's like a basic uh, example of how an alternative milk is made. Um, and actually, a lot of people recommend doing this, especially if you're going to be doing nut milks, because a lot of the ones that are being sold in stores don't have um, a lot of nut in them. (laughs) That's the best way to say it. Because for one cup of almond milk, there might be six to eight almonds in that cup. So that doesn't mean a lot of protein. It doesn't mean a lot of other vitamins, minerals, and such. But if you were to make it at home, simply all you do is you soak a pound of almonds or whatever nut of your choice in about a cup of water for 8 to 48 hours and then you uh, put that into a blender you put maybe like I think you have to get rid of the water I don't really remember but either way um, 
you put in four more cups of water, you blend that up for two minutes, and boom, that's it. That's what almond milk is. And you seethe it through a mesh. So no matter what nut milk you're making, it's gonna lose a lot of the protein. So like almonds are considered a very good food if you are searching for protein. Um, but because the pulp is no longer in this milk, then it takes away a lot of that. Either way, you still retain a lot more of the nutrients in it if you make it yourself versus buying one in store. Um, but like I said, you know, a cow produces one pound of milk for 48 per 48 gallons of water. Um, and for two popular non-dairy, non-treat nut alternatives, so rice milk consumes 299 gallons and oat milk consumes 290 gallons, which are significantly less than a thousand plus gallons of water. Um, and I thought this was very interesting. Potatoes take up a considerably, you know, less amount of water, roughly about 46 gallons, which is even less than a cow does. And they actually do produce potato milks. Potato milk? Yeah. I don't know. I've never heard of potato milk. I know. Um, I think I only saw sweet potato milk, which kind of makes sense because a lot of these alternative milks, they don't necessarily taste like regular milk, and they're not really trying to go for that. A lot of them are sweeter um, in flavor and try to go and emphasize the flavor of the actual item they're working with. So if it's rice milk, it supposed to taste like rice um but yeah so <laughs> i thought that was interesting about potatoes yeah i, think, I mean i yeah. like potato soup is good but you know it's also very 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 thick so well, i don't know how it tastes almost like have like a potato soup but it'd be runny i don't know because like it, so a thing that comes up when you're looking at milk alternatives is even though you might not be going exactly for a flavor of milk, like cow's milk, goat's milk, whatever it is, you a lot of people are still looking at a consistency of milk, where it's got that creaminess, it's got the thick and viscous kind of thing going on with it. Um, and like almond milks and uh, cashew milks are actually pretty thick, but almond milks and like I think macadamia milks are supposed to be pretty thin. And so that kind of is a turnoff for a lot of people. So, hey, if a potato is thick and creamy, I guess, then that <laughs> adds up to what people want. And so when it comes to studies about the beneficial or ill effects of milk on the human body, because I think you can argue either way, like, yeah, it can reduce environmental issues. It can reduce animal exploitation. It's kind of goes down to, okay, so is it actually healthier for the human body? Because we're told, you know, like, oh, no other animal in the rest of the animal kingdom drinks another animal's milk. And they always go back to, like, you know, it's the animal producing the breast milk for their uh, young and supposed to give them nutrients that are meant for that specific species, which <laughs> we talked about a few days ago. It was like, well, you know, maybe not naturally other animals will do it, but at the same time, you have surrogates 
the stories of you know like say it's a monkey and it takes in i don't know let's i'm just naming animals a dog or something and or a pig or something and it'll feed the milk and I don't know. It's maybe not natural. Maybe it shouldn't fit the ecosystem. But at the same time, it happens. Plus, you know, we feed our animals dairy products. <laughs> they like milk. Cats are known to like milk. Cassie yeah. likes cheese. <laughs> I know I talked about this before. And uh, if, once again, it's probably not the best because I'm sure there's some nutrients, you know, passed down and all. But I don't see it being too big of an issue. Yeah. So I was, you know, doing this. um, I actually watched a video a while ago that talked about different studies that are done for the beneficial and the ill effects of milk. And I think as consumers, we can't really conclude anything meaningful from any study's results. And unfortunately, that's due to like, biases made in these studies um you know often the studies are contradictory and when you look at who funds the studies there's reasonable cause for there to be in the existing biases if you're reading a study that promotes drinking of milk because it's a superfood and no fill with calcium it makes your bones strong it's most likely promoted by the u.s government and its partners which subsidizes milk production throughout the nation and if it's a study that denounces the drinking of milk, maybe it shows that milk can inconclusively <laughs> lead to higher rates of cancer in their sample size populations. The study was probably produced by groups invested in milk alternatives or other related organizations, maybe to do with animal rights. But because of that, they really straddle the line of the good and the bad milk consumption. And it's all about the money, you know, at the end of the day. So Unfortunately, I don't think there's anything that can be said either or uh, when it comes to is milk bad or good for the human body. Um, but there is infallible elf evidence or what I consider to be infallible evidence uh, to show that where milk lacks certain nutrients, it can be made up for in plant milks. So, namely, it's for the simple fact that dairy producers, cows, goats, any animal, you know, can't actually produce a certain type of nutrient in their type of milk. Um, as For example, fiber and iron are not really existent in cow's milk. Vitamin E is also, I don't think it exists, but maybe I read that wrong and it's just like a very low amount. Either way, it's not you know, to an alar to a large effect that it would actually really do good for the human body, um, or add to the human body's system. So, but it's also vice versa, where cow's milk has a substantial amount of nutrients that are not found in these dairy substitutes. So, cow's milk is high in vitamin D and high in protein. Um, like I was saying before, almonds lose a, they have a lot of protein, but they lose a lot of it when the pulp is no longer within the actual milk itself. Soy actually retains roughly about the same amount of protein, but you know, there's other issues with soy <laughs> yeah. and that's just kind of everything with the, you have to look at when it comes to alternatives or even just regular milk. It's kind of like, 
what nutrients are you putting in your body? Which ones are you missing? And when it comes to American culture specifically, we don't tend to really add a lot of nutrients that come specifically from plants. You know, we always have an issue of Jimmy not eating his Brussels sprouts or broccoli or something. And so... Yeah, that's something that we'll have to look at when we go um, back to Europe and stuff like that. I've never really thought of that because we are so heavily um, soy-based here. And I know we try to do, you know, in our family, we try to do our best to not eat a lot of soy and uh, find soy alternatives if we can. Um, it's really, really hard, though, because there's soy lectin and there's other soy items but that's just because soybean is so cheap and prevalent here where of course when we go overseas we see more olive oils and things like that um so it'd be kind of interesting to see because we've never really looked at plant-based milks over there so we'll have to keep an eye on see are they more like an almond based or cashew based or something like that or do they have a lot of soy milk too because when people you know lactic um, had the lactic problems and stuff like that. Uh, they started really coming out first with soy milks and people with milk allergy, soy milk. That was like mm-hmm. the big craze. And I remember when I used to babysit, one of the little girls had an allergy to milk. So she had soy ice cream, she had soy everything. And I I did not like it yeah. at all. I even thought, oh, the ice cream won't be bad. It was horrible. Now I know that a lot of the soy products um, have advanced flavor-wise and, you know, a lot better that way. But once again, there's other issues with soy in general um, that's, you know, not per se very good for you. But it would be interesting to see, do they have a high prevalence of soy milk over there? Or is once again that we have that because of our cheaper soybean? I really couldn't tell you because I also don't know. Maybe it's possible that in Europe, soy or soya when it comes to like milk alternatives that's what it's typically referred to as if it's um subsidized too by the governments over there maybe by the eu or something um yeah i really don't know when it comes to the milk alternatives but i also didn't know much about the milk alternatives here i kind of thought it was like silk you know soy milk that was it and then almond milk cart started coming out. I was like, okay, well, that's that's the next trend. So when you lived overseas, you never really because you aren't you aren't into alternative milks that much. No, right? I I <laughs> like my dairy. Also, France <laughs> likes their dairy. So <laughs> although yeah. you like coconut water, I do like coconut water. Yeah, I mean it's not milk, but well, there is coconut milk as an alternative. There. Are actually so many choices of alternative dairy-free milks and what's very interesting is like so okay almond milk you know my friend brandon brendan can't have that because he's allergic to tree nuts and then you consider okay cashews macadamias all those are milks too and they're kind of more of the mainstream i guess and he couldn't have any of those even if he wanted to but when i was looking up information they're talking about well if you're allergic to tree nuts soy is a good alternative if you're allergic to gluten or any there are different allergens right um so if you're allergic to gluten hemp is actually a good choice for a milk alternative um i haven't heard of hemp milk <laughs> yeah i think it's not the most popular option <laughs> only because it's supposed to taste very earthy yeah i 
Yeah, I don't and know. Kind of sour-ish. <laughs> so um, there was something like wheatgrass milk too that came out recently. So, but I mean, all these milks include legumes, seeds, nuts, cereals. Um, and uh, just going back to kind of like, you know, should you do alternative milks versus regular milk or whatever? I think it, it depends on your diet. You know, I think it's probably good to have a mixture of both. And again, if you are somebody who doesn't use or have a lot of plants in their diet, then it's probably a good uh, area to look into because you don't have to eat it, you don't have to cook it, you just put in something and you consume it, right? And then the same thing for regular milk, like if you're not hitting a high protein level, then you can start looking into that. Um, what's also, there are just so many factors too when you are trying to look at, okay, should I choose this alternative milk versus regular milk or whatever? Because many non-dairy products can also be fortified with other vitamins or minerals to equal or exceed the amount of animal's milk. And one thing to consider actually is that many alternatives have an excessive amount of sugars in them to make them palatable. Um, Way more than that would be found in a glass of cow's milk. A lot of the time it's like double the amount of sugars. But then you also have like their are practically no calories sometimes in the unsweetened version. So a lot of nutritionists are like, go for the unsweetened, you're pretty much good. Do they talk about shelf life on any of it? Mm, I did not look that up, but you will find that many um, alternatives are, you know, actually on a shelf and not in a refrigerator. What is typical for most of them when it comes to at least when they've been open is about three to five days. Like if you're doing it homemade, maybe about three to four, if it's been given a lot of emulsifiers and other agents and additives, mainly from stores, then they probably be about four to five days. I think if it's not been, they were explaining in a video, there are like two different processes, processes and the, these two different processes are the reasons why some are on the shelf and why some are um, in the fridge. I don't, I don't remember the actual titles, but let's say it's like high temperature, high temporal pasteurization, which is the one that can be found on the shelf. And it's great because it can, I think, last up to about two years on the shelf before being used or, you know, before spoiling, I mean. And when it comes to the other one, which is pretty much the same type of process, but with a shorter amount of pasteurization, um, or the vice versa, I'm so sorry. I'm like, I don't really, I didn't really pay attention to all that. But what I do remember is the reason why you would choose that one over the one that's on the shelf is because it actually, when they're pasteurizing it, it doesn't take away as many nutrients so they are a little bit more abundant in these nutrients minerals and all that so that'd be the same as cow's milk you Mm -hmm. know that uh the fresh cow's milk if you've got a co-op around you or a farm that you can actually go get fresh cow's milk it's much better for you um health-wise that way because you get more nutrients than 
buying it pasteurized. Yeah. And it would be interesting to see again with Europe, like, you know, it's here, it's unheard of to find milk on the shelf, you know, pretty much. But over there, it's so common, even like eggs are on the shelf, you don't refrigerate them, so... We do have some box milk because, you know, preparing for the hurricane mm-hmm. and stuff and doomsday. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's, you know, the, they do have boxed milk on the shelf. I've never liked it. But honestly, when, you know, you haven't, we don't have refrigeration for several days because of hurricanes, it's nice to have it. Yeah, sure. Um, I think that's actually pretty much all the facts that I had on the day itself or, the, you know, Everything kind of related to what I just wanted to talk about when it came to um, dairy-free alternatives when it comes to milk beverages. Like coconut milk, it's a lot of the time called a beverage. (laughs) Um, I don't know if that has really anything to do with like FDA regulations (laughs) because a lot of them will also have to have like milk in quotations or have milk be spelled with an i or an a or an e so it's like milk instead of milk and again i think maybe that has to do with the fda what's interesting about the fda and regulating milk so looking at different data points for trying to compare like regular cow's milk to these dairy all dairy free alternatives it's kind of hard to look at their nutrition values because the FDA only looks at their vitamin D um, level and I think one more level like calcium, so calcium and vitamin D. Those are the only points they actually look at. So they don't consider other factors in it. They don't consider the fiber. They don't consider the iron. They don't consider this and that. So That's interesting. I think uh, I think it was Laverne and Shirley where they did the milk with the was it Pepsi and mixed oh, it together. Oh yeah! <laughs> Could you imagine doing that with plant based milk? I don't either. Or is a bad <laughs> choice. Just no, no. Yeah, you did bring up a good point though about the sugar. I never. I mean, I haven't really been into alternative milk because I don't drink a lot of regular milk either. But. Um, you know, I just, I wouldn't have considered that, but that is true because most of the the alternative milks are like a vanilla or something like that or some mm-hmm. kind of flavor. Sweetened and, or something. And yeah. so you either probably have um, gobs and gobs of sugar or you have the bad saccharin in there. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and those kind of products and stuff. So that really health-wise, you know, unless you're doing it because you can't, tolerate the lactose or, or for whatever. like animal cruelty yeah. and something um, like that that would be would be interesting because it probably really wouldn't be much the only time i've really i mean i tried the soy milk way back when my baby sat um and then i kind of i got back into a little bit again with uh starbucks because they um you know have all those different mm-hmm. that you can instead of just getting milk and stuff you can get all the different types and i tried almond milk for a while it actually wasn't too bad in in my uh latte but i went back to regular milk but yeah it wasn't all that bad well what's interesting too is so going with the sugar um a lot of brands will have a version 
like a barista version, which is just essentially it has a lot more sugar or like a lot more fat in it because it's a, used for mixing in with coffee. And so like we have an espresso machine, right? And to it has comes with a milk frother, but we tried with an almond milk before and it just could not froth up because it does not have the same amount of fat as whole you know milk whole fat milk which is what we typically use so it was very disappointing and sad <laughs> and i guess this is what the dairy-free alternative companies have figured out they got to add more fat by adding in like um, rapeseed oil or sunflower oil some kind of an oil to actually like thicken it up or some other emulsifier to oh. get it going which is not very healthy for the body <laughs> um it's two more things to kind of consider if you are you know like thinking of going completely alternative or anything like that is you know you might be doing it for ethical reasons and you know you might be thinking animals are the people or not the people but you know the group to be looking out for in the situation but um Apparently, there's a lot of issues, too, when it comes to nut production, like whether it be in the factories or whether it be with the farming, maybe more so with the farming, there might be actual people who are getting exploited for. Well, even just the plants, work. because, um, yes, plants are renewables, um, you know, unlike going and um, killing an animal, but at the same time, we just have forests, you know, they're being destroyed, all the rainforest and pine forests and stuff. And okay, granted, maybe you don't use those particular plants, but the I'm sure the plants that you're using, if they're going out there, if it if they have an actual like factory where they're growing all these plants and they're only harvesting them from there, but if they're having to go out and harvest them from the wild, they're taking away from animals there, you know, and they're their habitat and then also once again how long does it take to renew these mm -hmm. resources and things right. like that and even i think it's for like an almond tree it takes uh, several years for it to produce any almonds so you're kind of like just using up a lot of land for nothing for a while yeah but... so a lot of resources and all that water once again but i'm not you know denouncing or disparaging yeah. uh they have pros and cons, like you said exactly, yeah. at the beginning. It doesn't really seem like anything leans one way or another. They both have good and bad, and it kind of equals out. Yeah, yeah. Until we find something that's a cure-all, then it's kind of like you got to do what you think is best for you. Um, so it really goes back to more to health, health and ethical reasons, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So... Here comes the fun part. Okay. I watched a YouTuber do this a few weeks ago. Hannah Hart, bless her soul. <laughs> She's such a sweet girl. So she got her friends together and they did a blind taste test of different alternative milks. Okay. And then actually a couple of days ago, I think it was Vogue on their YouTube channel. They had Anne Hathaway do like a bunch of different... <laughs> Uh, you know, just things that she had never done before. They're really strange, but fun. And one of them was try out different alternative milks. And I'm like, what better way to kind of like 
celebrate this segment than to get us trying out exotic drinks to us. Because again, we only drink whole fat milk. If we need to, we'll drink 2%. But otherwise, we are diehard true fan. (laughs) I know we need our cheese. We need our frothed milk. I had a latte before this. But so we're going to try milk. Yes, milks. Milks. <laughs> we have several drinks available to us. Dad and I, we ran out to the grocery store and tried to get a variety of them. So we got ones that are almond. We got ones that are macadamia and cashew. We got uh, coconut and flaxseed, I think. Um, and some of them are have like additional flavors to it. So how about we go ahead and take a break for a second and get Dad to actually help us, uh, you know, with this blind taste test. And, uh, you know. This is when we need a vlog. Yeah, we need a camera over here. (laughs) Okay. I I guess I'm in. Are you brave enough to (laughs) go beyond? Do we we have a spittoon if we don't like them? Um, Our gullets. Okay. All right. Yeah, we'll be back, guys. So we have apparently a butler serving us, and uh, he has a towel draped over his arm, but it happens to be a Thanksgiving towel. And so, like in each hand, is a nice little champagne cup. What Those are you custard say? cups? Custard cups. Those are custard cups from England. Eh. You put some Prosecco in it, you're good. It works. <laughs> I guess they could be cordial cups. All right. But Gigi always used them for custard. Okay, well, now we're using it for alternative milks. <laughs> so, a disclaimer. Uh, all these drinks, of course, again, you know, go bad in four to five days. But we're going to use them up when we can. Even if we don't like them, I hope I'm going to do it anyhow. We can find a good cause to donate them to. <laughs> If anything, there's one drink that I know Clyde would use, so I could pawn that off on him, my friend. But, um, and then... What, you want to kill him? He likes this one. I know he does. He was talking... I'll get into that in a bit. But, um, so basically this is going to go as our butler, Dad. Daddington, what kind of name do you want? You can call me whatever you want. Okay, I think we'll go with Daddington Daddy. for right now. Daddington. Do I have an English accent? Yeah, that's not very English. Oh. Okay, now there it is. <laughs> very Holmes. But um, so he will bring in a selected drink, one of the alternatives, and it can be anything like flaxseed to um, coconut milk. And so he'll bring them in each round. We will go ahead and taste them, give our flavor palette uh, profile. Do we have a list to pick from, or do we just have to say them? Because you would have the advantage. You know what? No, we have buy. we have a list. Okay. You'll just have a handicap for the first one because you're going to go. You're going to go in blind. Okay. And so we'll go ahead and try to figure out from the flavors. Um, just what could be in it. And then we'll go over that list 
and try to match it up with the one that's actually present on there and see if we're correct or not. No mosquito spit in there, is there? We. Oui. <laughs> he said yes. He yes. said we. Oui. He did say yes. So one of us might get malaria, but that is not due to any of the brands. That is due to our butler wanting to get our inheritance. Okay, I think I think we should get started. <laughs> he, he's only giving that look because he knows there's no inheritance. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry for that, Deppington. <laughs> All right. Are you ready, Mom? Are you ready for us to, like, spit it back out on you if we don't like it? No. <laughs> Is that why you brought the Thanksgiving towel in? No, I'm thankful to have a job. Maybe we need, um... Uh, bips. Perhaps, <laughs> yes. Okay. Madame. All right. Are we going to do one, two, Merci. three? I'm not downing it. I'll take a little sip of it. Are we going to do like a little smell test of it too? Oh. Actually, that smells good. It smells, I want to say almost fruity. Oh, it doesn't smell fruity to me. It smells, um, it smells like a custard, actually. <laughs> Maybe it's the custard dust, but... Or no, you know what it kind of smells like? It smells like the milk that has soaked up a bunch of cereal. Yeah. And it's fallen uh, that's to the it, bottom. You know what? That's exactly what it smells like. Mm. Talking about cereal, we went to a cool, a cool place in... Um, London. In London. Was it Cereal, cereal Killer Cafe? Mm-hmm. And basically it has like all these old school cereals that you can mix together and just make this giant bowl of craziness. We didn't check to see if they had alternative milk to put on the cereal. I'll say they probably had 2% milk. Is that alternative enough for us? <laughs> my my cereal was a little weird. I got something unicorn, and it was weird. I don't remember. I've had yeah. it twice, so. But it was a fun experience, so. Okay, bottoms up. It's very mild. It's not as bad as I thought it would be. It's thick. Yeah, well, it is thick. It's not very sweet, though. No, it smells a lot sweeter than... Yeah, actually, it does smell sweeter. I did try to get unsweetened for everything because I didn't want us to like... (laughs) I don't know. I thought we might as well try to be somewhat healthy. Well, that's palatable. It's not bad. If it were mixed with other sugary items, then that'd be pretty okay. I think it, yeah, it needs to be sweeter because the smell doesn't match it. So what do you think it could be? Cashew? Maybe. I think I know what it is. I'm going to show you the list right now. I mean, it's, I don't want to say it's bitter, but it is more like a nut that's not, doesn't have a sweetness to it. So I, Oh, like I can really <laughs> see that. I think you should just take the list. Do you know all of them? You have them memorized? Uh, the base of what it is? Yes, I remember what they are. Because some of them have additive flavors to it. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know. This is difficult. See, I think it's the oat milk. Because, like I said, it kind of has a smell of cereal. Well, it has, like I said, it's definitely chalky, but... Mom's almost done with hers. She's like, oh, yeah. yeah. I still have some. I'm, oh, I don't know. I'm going to go with the flaxseed. All right. Daddington. We. Oui. Do you remember the 
one you just gave us? We. Eh, qu'est-ce que c'est? What is it? So who's the winner? Well, what did you guess? I guessed oat milk. Then you'd be wrong. Oh. Then mom would be right. Ding, 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 ding. So what was it? One for the mother. Flaxseed mm, milk. Okay. It, yeah. I don't know. I could have gone a bunch of different ways, but it tastes sort of like flaxseed. Okay. It's not nearly as bad as I thought it would be. Not that I would go out of my way to get it, but anyway. Do you think you would get it if it, or you would drink more of it if it were sweetened or it had another flavor? Actually, yeah, because it's thick enough. I think if it, had, but once again, if it was more sweetened, does that defeat the purpose of having it? You know? I don't know. I don't know what nutrients are in that. All right. All right. Well, wasn't too bad. Oh, I've got to tell you, if you miss this one, you're really bad. Oh, okay, is so, this one very flavorful then? So we have five, according yeah. to this paper? We had five. We're now down to four. Well, okay. So take out the flaxseed. If you want to go through the list and tell everybody what we have left. Okay, so let's see. And then maybe they can guess from our <laughs> taste buds. <laughs> okay, so there's turmeric, ginger, coconut beverage. It's interesting that they're like multi-blend. Mm-hmm. Um, so turmeric, ginger, coconut beverage, flaxseed milk, which we just had, almond, cashew, and macadamia beverage, oat milk, and blueberry lavender almond beverage. See, I'm looking really forward okay. to the oat milk, but also the blueberry and lavender. I saw that today. Well, I think I can tell by the smell, and I think it's probably that. Is it? Oh, that's it for sure. I mean, that's definitely a blueberry smell. And yeah, it has a slight scent of lavender it smells really good well maybe they didn't have more than i was like we probably should have gotten like several flavors of the same but just the different plant base to see well we can kind of do that um if you see on the list there's two almonds so this is one of them if it is that blueberry which pretty sure yes blueberry blueberry lavender almond beverage or almond cashew and macadamia beverage but we also got an unsweetened vanilla one, which I know I like. <laughs> so <laughs> I just saved that. Uh-huh. But Okay, well, it definitely is a blueberry smell. It smells really good. It smells like a blueberry muffin. <laughs> yeah, it actually does. It does not. Um, I don't smell the lavender, but it smells exactly like a blueberry muffin. All right, are you ready to try it? All right. It tastes like almond milk, too. The taste is good, but once again, it's kind of chalky gritty. Yeah. It's not as thick either. So, you know, I like the thickness of the flaxseed better. I think if the blueberry was on the flaxseed, I would like that a lot. I just don't really care for the almond kind of like almond aftertaste. Well, what I don't think I like about it is maybe ice cream. Maybe it would be as good as ice cream, but I wouldn't want to drink a blueberry drink. Tea. I'll drink blueberry tea, but it's a little odd as milk. That's where we disagree. I'll take anything blueberry and anything lavender. So, <laughs> <laughs> But it might make a good ice cream. But yeah, I can taste the almond. And I um, I don't, I like the thickness of the flaxseed better. I will say this tastes a lot sweeter than the flaxseed, but still unsweetened. So that's kind of cool. Oh, yeah, because it definitely tastes sweet. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think we're ready <laughs> for the next one. Were we right, Daddington? It was blueberry. Uh huh. Okay. So thank you. So that leaves us with turmeric, ginger, coconut, 
and that's beverage, not milk. Uh, almond, cashew, macadamia, beverage, and oat milk. Okay, so for this one, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not picking up anything. So I would say probably oat. Either oat or maybe the almond, cashew, and macadamia. Because if they're all mixed together, maybe maybe they don't have any smell, any distinctive smell. Or oatmeal smells. So maybe you're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's really nothing go off smelling. So I think we have to taste it. Cashew and macadamia. Yeah, there's definitely no smell. Ready? Yeah. Oh, that's real milk. We need our butler. <laughs> he went to get another round. I have to question myself because it does taste like real milk. There isn't anything weird with it. That's real milk. <laughs> he put real milk in there. He said there were a couple of surprises. Yeah. Oh, wait, if there's a couple of surprises. Yeah, this... that's scary. This is real milk. We figured it out. That's real milk. We need... We. Hurry up, <laughs> a real milk. We definitely need a a vlog because they need to see our expressions. (laughs) But the funny part is like how you're saying real milk has somewhat of a smell. I think we've been inundated with the other ones already, so it's kind of like it didn't have much. But it had it has an inkling of a smell, but didn't smell like almond or oat. But it doesn't smell like cow's milk either. Now wait, we have. I am not drinking that. That has to be, I think this is a turmeric one. It's going to be the turmeric ginger, but if it isn't, then dad put eggs in the- I would not put anything in there to harm you. <laughs> well, would eggs, eggs harm us? Eggs would harm us, but I don't like our, uh, drinking raw eggs. Okay, well, from the color, it looks like turmeric ginger coconut. Mm-hmm. came from Old Yeller, the dog. Oh, poor Old well, Yeller. Actually, it smells good. It, does, it smells like cinnamon, though, more than ginger. So with this one... They might also have pepper in it. It might be a little bit spicy. I don't know. But apparently, I don't know how I pronounce this. Hande Delu or something. It's Hindi. But apparently, it's really good if you're sick because it has like the anti-inflammatory and all well, the... Well, the turmeric is yeah. really, really good. Well, and ginger, both. So like Clyde was saying that if you take like a swallow full of this every couple of hours, the first day you're starting to feel like a sore throat, it's going to go away immediately. That's nice. Yeah, I don't like it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I know. I like it. <sighs> it's sweet. It's got a nice balance of flavors. I don't like it. It looks like orange juice. So <laughs> my mom's expecting orange juice. Acid and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, no, I don't like But you know what? I don't really like turmeric or ginger, so that's probably why. I'm trying to figure out if there's more of one flavor versus the other. I don't know. We probably should have done this without the sheet and tried to. But you would have had unfair advantage. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay. I did not like that one. Do you want to try it, Dad? My hands are full. I will switch out one. Okay. It's pretty good. It also kind of tastes a little bit like, to me, pumpkin. But maybe that's just the color. (laughs) It's good it isn't. Because you're trying to kill me. They did have pumpkin. Um, oh, did they? Did well, they also have a sunflower seed one? No, but we're like at pumpkin potato or tomato sauce. Pumpkin latte should, or not latte uh, creamer should be out. I didn't say anything. Anyway. Okay, so that means beyond any weird surprises, there we have almond, cashew, macadamia, 
and an oat milk left. Okay, this one looks very thick, like very murky, kind of creamy. You didn't guess the last one. Yeah, we did. The turmeric. Well, okay. Are we correct? Turmeric, ginger, coconut. Yeah. Okay. Woo! Can tell that from it. the color, though. Mm. Madame. Okay, because Ooh, that's it's super cold. Because it's so thick, I would say it's the macadamia one, maybe. The mixture of macadamia, no smell. almond, and cashew. Again, it might be non-distinct. It's super cold, though. No, I smell stuff. It smells very sweet, though. Our others aren't that cold. This is cold. It's the same amount of cold. It just feels like water. <laughs> He's probably rinsing them out. I don't know. I'm wondering if he gave us something else. Yeah. It's okay. Ew, what is that? That's that might nasty. be oat. It really tastes like oats. Yeah. I don't know. It's nasty. <laughs> <laughs> if it is the oat one, it's funny because like a lot of people really like this one. I don't know. I can't tell. They're it's... all, you know, one thing that I don't like about them is they're all gritty. Hmm. Especially the regular milk. Jimmy, you want to try some? He probably would. You should try. I wonder if it's safe for him. I'm. Did you research that? Uh, not sure. Nope. He doesn't want it. So <laughs> our kitty turned his nose up at it. He's like, if it's not proved, I could have given you the cow's milk. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that. Oh, it's the grittiness or the taste. I don't mind it because it's it tastes sweet. like oatmeal. It's not sweet though. I like well, I like oatmeal, but I do tend to like it if it has like maple and stuff in it. Oh, we've had a foul. Ah, am I have to clean the rug. Yep. Okay. Am I gonna have a plant growing now? Possibly. <laughs> okay, this one's gross. No, I approve of it. It tastes like oatmeal. So Bryce says the oat milk. I guess I'll go with that. I don't know. There's only two left, and to me, it could be either. It is the oatmeal or the oat milk. All right. So this is our last one. See, I like unsweetened oatmeal. I know. This so. is really thick. The, well, this is the macadamia one, right? Well, unless that Ooh. added a surprise. but It smells really good, whatever it is. It's it smells wild. like nuts. It smells like a creamer, though. It's very, very. I think that maybe gave us a creamer. Oh yeah, that's creamer. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's hazelnut. Is it hazelnut no, no. or amaretto? No, that's white chocolate macadamia. Mm, yeah, macadamia. That's white chocolate macadamia. <laughs> I'm gonna still take a sip. I like creamer, but I don't like flavored creamer by itself like that. Wow. <laughs> After having all the other ones. Where they kind of maybe tasted sweet, not at all. This one, it packs a punch of sugar in you. Yeah, I've I love just like drinking cream, mm -hmm. but I've I've tried like straight creamer like that. I can't stand that. I drink this now. Grampy <laughs> will drink an entire bottle of yeah, a creamer. He'll like drink that. three of them. So uh, white chocolate macadamia. Creamer. Creamer. Not yes. beverage, not milk. Oh. It's a lot of a lot of viscous. This doesn't have any smell either. I don't think anything would have a smell after the last one. That one's not bad, but I would want some sugar in it. Mm. 
I don't like it. Need sugar. It had a weird, like, kind of astringent, <laughs> kind of like punch towards the end. It's. Mm. But you know, that tastes closest to a milk product. Mm. No, I don't. It tastes like sour milk. Still tastes like the closest to a milk product. Mm. Oh. So. Almond cashew mm -hmm. macadamia. Well, there was only one choice left. So. <laughs> yeah. Process of elimination. Yeah. That's mm. right. no bueno. We do appreciate the dad unit because he has brought them all in and he's cleaning them up. Mm -hmm. Actually, son and dad made dinner tonight. So that was very nice. That was better tasting than the last one. <laughs> no. mm. Got to water over there. That trifecta was not good. Okay. Well, I will say, could at least drink them. Uh-huh. <laughs> I didn't want I didn't feel like I needed to spit any out. Uh-huh. I should have gone for the hemp's. But there were some <laughs> there were some gross ones there that I would never do again, but it wasn't like I would take it and spit it out, so. I think my top winner is either the blueberry or the oat. Like blueberry because I really like blueberry and oat because I really like oat so I think actually I would do the flaxseed if it had been sweetened hmm. would you like drink it straight up or would you just put it in like a cereal or something uh, I think I would well I mean personally I wouldn't want to drink any of these really straight up but if I had to probably the flaxseed yeah well there we go that was the contest. We're all winners. If you want to ask me which one I preferred about all of them, the cow's milk. <laughs> yeah. What about the creamer, huh? I didn't even drink that. I know. So, okay. Well, that, that was fun and interesting. Uh, I'll have to see how it comes across in a podcast. I mean, uh, we'll keep it there, but might needed to videotape just that little segment. <laughs> I do agree, though. I was a lot more impressed by the palatability of them all. I really thought that some of them were just going to have some kind of a funky flavor to it and be like, okay. None of them have this. an aftertaste, so that's a good thing. Uh, debatable. <laughs> I'm still tasting the macadamia one. <laughs> Not the creamer. But one thing I did not like was they all definitely were gritty. Well, that's that. That's the... Oh, well, how do we celebrate? Um, I would recommend go out and do this yourself, or at least just... <laughs> would you really recommend that? I would do it. I think it would be fun. Like with the Hannah Hart video, she had a bunch of her friends, and then she just got to watch their emotions and their faces. So that was a good time. But I would recommend just going out and even trying one of them like uh, maybe you could do a weekly thing of all right i want to see what this is all about so let me go ahead and grab one and it can start off on world plant milk day or you could like i guess try creamers or something if you don't want to go full or a or a latte or something that has an added splash mm -hmm. of it or even recipes i mean like a lot of the coconut milk i got a very specific one but they just have regular coconut milk and a lot of recipes, like a lot of Indic recipes, ask and require of it. Yeah, I still use coconut milk a lot. So anyway, 
right. Just well. be aware of what you're putting in your body, <laughs> I guess, and don't get fooled by propaganda. <laughs> well, that was fun, and um, we're not. None of us are going away until October, so we should be coming to you next week with two more holidays. Mm-hmm. That's it. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us in our hop through these silly and strange celebrations. We'll be back again with another assortment of holidays to inspire new traditions. You can follow us at Don't Tell the Easter Bunny on Facebook and Instagram, or Don't Tell the E A S One on Twitter. And for emails, you can use Don't Tell the Easter Bunny at gmail.com. See, See you, you next time. time.